Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. I'm your host, Brian Sin. I hope you guys are having a great week, getting ready for Christmas. I know we are, man. I don't think with, uh, with seven kids, though, I don't know if we're ever fully ready. We kind of just got to cross our fingers and hope, but uh, it's the way it is. We are joined by Norman Latino with uh, Southeastern Pond Management. Norman, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing good, Brian. Doing good, man. Same same on my area. And getting ready for the holiday kind of snuck up on us a little bit. Probably not a bad thing for 2020 to be uh, to be on its way out. How about that? But we're ready for a new year, aren't we? Well, I think we could talk bad about it. And I think everybody would understand if we did. <laughs> I think uh, everybody's definitely ready for a new year for sure. And it's been a, been a trying time. So 2021, it's got, got room for improvement. That's for sure. Man, you've been staying in the woods a lot lately? Uh, you know, some, probably more than than the past few years. I've been fortunate that way. And we've had a had a pretty good uh, deer season so far. It seemed like a lot of a lot of good bucks moving around uh, early in the season. It's early for us where I hunt down in South Alabama or Bullock County. Uh, you know, we have a real real late rut, late January, February rut. So uh, when we see bucks moving around a lot this time of the year, that's that's a good thing. I was showing a a, a property this morning down in Coosa County, uh, not too far from Lake Martin, but uh, it's. 430-acre high-fence place, and, man, you know, we were talking about the rut with those guys this morning, and, and they got some deer, you know, that they brought in from, from a breeder facility several years ago, and then they've got native deer there as well. And he said the cool thing about it is their rut comes in the week before Thanksgiving and goes all the way through January because they've got uh-huh. the early season rut with those you know, those Midwestern bred deer that are on the place. And then you've got your, your Alabama native deer that have the later rut. So they get to enjoy, they get to enjoy the rut for a long time. That's nice. I love that part of the state. I love, I, Coosa County is beautiful and Rockford area in particular to me is just really pretty. We, we've got some great lakes we take care of there and the, the turkey hunting is phenomenal in Coosa County and just a beautiful part of the state to me. Well, Rockford is exactly where, where this place I was at was just, just south of Rockford out of town, just a little way. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful country there for sure, but we're not on the podcast to talk too much about deer hunting. So let's, let's get some fishing. So we're uh, for guys of you that may be new, new listeners. Norman uh, is the owners of Southeastern pond management and every, at least once a month, we try to get on here and, and do a management, what we call a management minute and, and talk to Norman about the ins and out of, of managing your lakes or farm ponds and, and trying to get the most out of them. And uh, so that's what we're going to do today. And really one of the things that, you know, when I was thinking about the show, you know, we've touched a lot on, I think last, last month we, we talked about liming and, and how that works hand in hand with fertilizer and the importance of that to get the most out of your fertilizer. But uh, this week I want to talk about aquatic vegetation. Uh, and I know you know a lot about that. So just kind of kick it off, Norman, and just what's too much, what's not enough, and how do you find that balance? Yeah, well, and and a lot of that 
And that's a great question. And, and a lot of that is personal preference or personal tolerance. You know, how, what are you going to tolerate in terms of vegetation? We, we have lakes that, that are managed really for vegetation. You know, they like heavy vegetation because these folk, a lot of folks enjoy fishing it and certainly the fish are adaptive to it and use it for various, various functions, including cover and, and hiding and ambushing prey. And so, you know, vegetation in itself is not a bad thing. However, it can be difficult. It's one of the more challenging things, frankly, in a, in a small impoundment to have a little bit of it. You know, it, 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 it tends, aquatic vegetation, particularly in our, in our region of the country, you know, we have an extremely long growing season. That stuff tends to proliferate and, and, and expand and, and, and sort of take over a pond. And so it can be challenging to, to have a little bit of it. You can manage vegetation a little bit with, with water depth. If you have some shallow areas, it's possible to have some vegetation in those, say, less than 24, even 30 inches of water areas. And then if you can drop off into three or four feet fairly rapidly from those, a lot of times you can control it. However, so, some of the even native types of vegetation and certainly the exotics that, that are common in the southeast, uh, those those suckers, if the water's clear, uh, you know, I've seen them grow out of 12, 14, even 16, 18 feet of water. So uh, it, it again, it can be difficult to have a little bit of vegetation, but but the good news is uh, there there are a number of strategies that you can put in place to 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 control vegetation, it, and it, and it's not just one thing. You know, it's not just let's hammer them with chemicals. Certainly, uh, uh, chemical control is useful, and we do quite a bit of it uh, when it's when it's applicable, but managing the visibility of the water again get back to those cornerstone management inputs liming and fertilizing we can do a lot to control aquatic vegetation by limiting sunlight uh you know we can't take the water away we can't take the nutrient the soil away but we can limit the sunlight by uh coloring up the water and limiting the amount of sunlight that penetrates down into the deep end of the water column uh, and most of these aquatic nuisance aquatic plants start at the bottom in the mud in the bottom soil, and so if we can keep sunlight, uh, direct sunlight from getting down there, uh, we can effectively control uh, aquatic vegeta vegetation. And that's mainly with fertilizer, right? And lime. Yeah, we there are some situations, Brian, where we use actually use dye. Those are more what we call our commercial applications, golf courses, apartment complexes, condo, condos and apartments and, and, and where, uh, you know, they're not really committed to a management plan. They and just want they pretty just water. Need something. That's right. They want pretty water and they certainly don't want vegetation. So, so we can, we can add that, but for the most part, yes, it's liming and then fertilizing. And so it sounds crazy to talk about, controlling vegetation by fertilizing you know it kind of is counterintuitive yeah. you think well you fertilize you're going to grow more weeds and uh but again what what we're attempting to do when we fertilize is to grow 
plankton, planktonic algae in the water that floats around in the water. It gives gives the ponds that, that green tint to it. Uh, and and if you took a, a a jar of that, a clear glass jar, and held it up in the sunlight, you you could actually see thousands and thousands of little tiny algae particles floating around in that water. And collectively, that adds like a giant shade cloth, and it it cuts down on the visibility. Uh, the sunlight penetration down into the water column and effectively controls weeds. Those aquatic weeds, just like terrestrial weeds, they've got to have sunlight to grow. And most of the aquatic species have to have pretty intense direct sunlight. They're just not tolerant of shade, like some grass is not tolerant, you know, in your yard just won't tolerate shade. Well, weed, aquatic weeds are like that a lot. So if we can do just a little bit to, to keep the sunlight off of them, uh, then we can usually control them. The first thing we talk about uh, to our customers when we talk about controlling vegetation is let's make sure that we're taking full advantage of our fertilization program. And particularly the key, one of the keys to that for vegetation control purposes is let's get started early. So again, it sounds kind of crazy in December to be talking about you know, vegetation control and fertilizing, but, you know, by the end of February, the the winter, as far as we're concerned, in the deep south is over. Right. So by the first of March, even though the weather may fluctuate from 70 degrees to 20 degrees, we don't pay any attention to that temperature. We, we're going to apply fertilizer by March 1st routinely. Uh, it is going to enhance the phosphorus content in the water, which is productive for fish production purposes but even more importantly early early in the season we want to start building up that phosphorus so we can stimulate a plankton bloom so we can combat and fight those early season weeds that are so prevalent uh, particularly filamentous algae and the stuff that starts growing really early in the season so folks want to wait it's too cold to fertilize We're, we got too much rain listen uh it's important to start early. Uh, once that vegetation starts getting established, uh, you're fighting an uphill battle. You're climbing a cactus at that point. So it's that's like, the first thing that we want to do. Kind of like this crabgrass in my yard. If I don't put pre-emerging out every year, the crabgrass, I'll be battling it and usually we'll lose the battle during the whole summer <laughs> until it there, comes and I get pre-emerging that, That's right. That is a perfectly good that's a that's a great analogy and the timing is so critical once that vegetation and the aquatic vegetation gets to a certain level of maturity and and abundance you, you are really fighting an uphill battle you know to control it but if you get on top of it if you if you win the battle early and control that sunlight uh that's hitting the bottom of the pond especially in late February, early March, and certainly into April, when the daylight hours start increasing, the sunlight intensity starts increasing. Uh, it's, it's much more about sunlight hours and intensity of sunlight than it is about air temperature or yeah. even water temperature. And folks kind of get confused about that. And they think, well, weeds aren't going to grow. The water's 50 degrees, 45 degrees not not that's really not much of a factor believe it or not it's all about just like leaves uh, trees leaf out it doesn't really matter what the temperature is 
trees leaf out in the spring. It's about the, the number of, of hours of sunlight. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's what drives that stuff. Well, you know, let's take it back to to kind of what I think about. And I grew up, you know, fishing the river systems, but I also grew up fishing a lot of farm ponds and and lakes. And, you know, weeds are kind of one of those things where I remember fishing these farm ponds that were just slap covered with it. And you can't throw your line out hardly without getting just moss and all that junk on your line and get it through there. But then I'd have other ponds where it didn't have, but maybe a little, and I was going hunting for grass, trying to find a place mm-hmm. to throw to with grass on it. So it, it is a complicated thing, but what is, what's the negatives in a, from bass production and obviously fishability, it, it, you know, if it's too much grass, it's just hard to fish but mm-hmm. from a fisherman's point of view what's the negative to having grass and there you well, go positive to not having grass yeah strictly speaking aquatic vegetation is not that from a biological perspective there's not really a drawback to it in really true extreme cases uh vegetation can be so dense so thick that it can actually inhibit uh, the ability of the predators to, to be, to effectively prey, you know, consume and, and find food. Uh, you know, the, the prey, the prey can get tucked up so far into that stuff that, that it becomes challenging, but that's, those are extreme, extreme cases. So, so from a biological perspective, vegetation is never a bad thing. Look, aquatic life loves vegetation and, mm-hmm. uh, bass love it. You know, the, the prey species, bluegill and, and and you know and and even to some extent shad and thing you know they utilize it as cover and and to keep away from predators it's also a, a tremendous source of food because all the tiny little aquatic insects and what we call zooplankton the the aquatic insect planktonic organisms colonize all that vegetation and and little tiny snails and crustaceans and things and crawfish and so it's it's not negative from that standpoint where where we run into problem is where it's particularly abundant uh to the point where it impedes the ability to fish you know that you alluded to it obviously you know attracts all sorts of aquatic you know and semi-aquatic animals from you know muskrats and beavers and 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 other rodents to 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 snakes and you know, pests that some folks, a lot of folks consider undesirable and brings them right to the water's edge. And so people tend to, to uh, that's undesirable to, to a lot of folks. It, the aesthetics are not pleasing in certain settings. Uh, you know, folks have nice maintained landscapes around the pond uh, and, you know, it's it not necessarily aesthetically pleasing to have that vegetation growing up, not just, and then, and not just the casting plugs, it interferes with fishing. It, it, it interfered a lot of folks with ponds like the bank fish and walk around. Right. And, you know, a lot of times vegetation gets so thick and heavy around the edges that it makes bank fishing practically impossible. So as I said, we, we have customers that, uh, that like it and and do very little to control it in fact some that that 
that encourage it. But for the most part, uh, our customers say, look, you know, I don't mind a little bit of it. Uh, but if my choice is to have uh, a lot or none, you know, I'm going to tend toward none. You know, let's uh, let's let's combat this stuff. And, you know, what we try to explain to people is, you know, like I, I mentioned, aquatic herbicide, which is a great effective tool in our arsenal. We use it a lot at certain times of the year. But controlling aquatic vegetation, particularly in a, a small impoundment in a pond or small lake, uh, it we take a, a multifaceted approach to it. So we mentioned liming and fertilizing, that fertilization and, and uh, controlling sunlight penetration, we, you know, we talked about the effect that can have. You know, the second thing that we do <clears throat> routinely in lakes that have, that are susceptible, particularly shallow lakes to aquatic vegetation uh, is a biological control. And primarily that's grass carp. <clears throat> grass carp are a great tool to help control aquatic vegetation. They're not, uh, they're typically, they're on their, uh, by themselves, they're not going to completely eradicate aquatic vegetation unless you stock them at a, a super high density. Uh, but they are a great piece of the puzzle, uh, part of the solution. So most of the time uh, when we have uh, an aquatic vegetation issue, that's part of our strategy to control it. And then lastly, and, and certainly not leastly, but lastly, we look at chemical controls. And we've got some, some herbicides that are approved for aquatic use, and we're certainly licensed and, and insured uh, commercial applicators. Uh, but we, we have a handful of chemicals that are approved for aquatic use that are not harmful to pets and wildlife and humans and don't hurt the fish as long as they're applied properly. Uh, and we use those. Uh, we we tend to use herbicide more during the the heavy growing season. So herbicide is not nearly as effective on plants uh, until they're actively, actively growing. So early in the spring when they're just getting started, it's not real effective. Late, late in the in the growing season when they're starting to get into that dormant mode, it's not real effective. But in the summertime, when they're blooming, when they're really actively growing, that's when that's when herbicide can be particularly effective. I got you. Well, on the carp, uh, you mentioned using carp to control it. You know, is there kind of a set mindset as far as how many carp per acre you need to maintain uh, adequate support? Yeah, <clears throat> there there is, and and to a point, the higher density. Uh, stocking the the more control you get uh certainly is possible in some situation in some settings we we've, we've done this to really overwhelm the vegetation with with numbers with stocking density but generally speaking Brian uh somewhere in that 12 to 15 maybe 18 per acre uh is a, is a good rough rule of thumb for most lakes every everyone's a little bit different if a lake is particularly susceptible in terms of uh, the, say you got, you know, half the lake is super shallow, uh, or you get these lakes that have really, really gradual, slow sloping uh, banks. So you've got, you've got a, a large amount of, of shallow water, then, you know, we tend to be on the high end of that stock and density. Whereas lakes that are, that are built with a little steeper banks, maybe, 
uh, the upper end is, 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 has been deepened fairly well. Uh, we might be on the lower end of that stocking density. And, and there are plenty of lakes that, um, that don't need grass carp. And, and, you know, so we tend to, we don't, we tend to, 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 to put them in when we need them. Uh, you know, if there's, if there's no sign of aquatic vegetation, it's not something that that's necessary. Uh, dealing with vegetation when it becomes a nuisance, uh, it's it's a real challenge a and challenge. so yeah. it is and so when we see those those kind of situations we say look let's throw the kitchen sink at it let's let's deal with the with the visibility with limiting sunlight penetration uh let's stock grass carp and let's use uh aquatic approved herbicides as as needed to 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 keep this stuff uh, under control yeah, and then once you get it knocked back, you can kind of go to more like a maintenance deal. Well, you know, I think about your lake that I fished out there, and how many acres is that lake? That lake's about 40. I think it's 38 or 39 acres. All right. acres. Mm-hmm. So it's not a small lake. I mean, it's a good-sized lake. There's some deeper water in it. I know that there's, you know, there's a lot of grass. There's a good, good number of grass carp in the, in the lake. Do you have to – do you – use herbicides uh at this point in a lake like that that's already kind of under control like maybe in the shallow end or are you to the point there where the carp kind of keep it maintained because there's some pretty good slopes on that place yeah we we really don't use herbicide there at all and uh quite honestly if i had to go back and do over again like i said i I like a little vegetation i probably would put fewer grass carp those grass carp do a a whale of a job controlling the the vegetative growth up in the in the shallow areas and uh so we we've been able to uh we've been able to control the vegetation in that lake with the grass carp uh since and and fertilization since very very early on uh it's not been a issue but as you said that lake has steep banks i mean we go from from the, the shoreline down to five six seven feet around the vast majority of the shoreline of that lake pretty darn quickly so you know we just don't run into those big shallow flats that are more conducive to weed growth frankly they're, they're, the reason they're more conducive to, to vegetative growth to, to aquatic vegetation is sunlight you know there's nothing special about uh two foot uh water depth i mean in terms of promoting vegetation other than the sun gets down to the bottom right there you see and so again that that that's that's such a key when we when we get involved in new construction uh we really harp on that and sometimes it's 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 not it's not possible or it's or it's extremely costly uh to deepen entire upper end say of a lake down to three feet minimum uh, but you know, to the point, to the extent that we can do that, we can really control aquatic vegetation. And in most cases, uh, the majority of the shoreline—that's just a matter of choice and, and proper planning. It's not difficult to take that those pans and take that equipment and cut those banks down on a two-to-one sure. slope down to 36 inches. You know, it's just a matter of knowing what you need to do and making sure it gets done properly. That's right. Well, you know, and back to your to your lake there that 40 acre lake you know i can see what you're you're saying it would it would almost be fun to have a little bit uh, of grass Mm -hmm. on on the on the shallower bank so if you're in a situation like that 
And uh, which that's just a phenomenal. I mean, you fertilize it so well. I mean, it's you've done everything right in it, so it's just phenomenal to start with. But if you ever decided, okay, we'd like a little grass to come back. Do you just do you just go in and shock? And I mean, do you cut down on the number of carp? Or I've always heard it as when a carp, and this is probably just one of those myths, but when a carp gets to a certain size where he's through growing, he doesn't eat as much. Is that true or not true? That, 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 no, that is true. And uh, carp uh, generally are effective uh, for six or eight years. Uh, they may live twice that long, mm-hmm. uh, but, but they, they, they slow dramatically uh, once they get five, six, seven years of age. And uh, obviously they still eat, uh, but, instead of eating their body weight every day, you know, they're eating a lot less than that. And so they just slow down. So uh, that, is, that is true. But the other thing I'd say about vegetation and talking about our lake, and we've talked about doing it, we may do, do some of it in the spring. There's ways to, to actually colonize vegetation around the margins. And there are certain, and the point I'm making is there are certain types of vegetation, okay? There are certain plants, that are uh, that are desirable, much more desirable than others. Uh, there's some that are uh, that are nasty, uh, you know, both native and and exotic uh, plants that are just nasty to deal with, and they they expand and explode, and they're very difficult to control. They're resistant to herbicide, and uh, and there are others that that are not that are easy to control. Uh, with vegetation or even mechanically control them, uh, you know, just mechanically harvesting and, and keeping, keep uh, kind of clip back. Uh, so a, a lot of times the determinative factor in, in terms of whether a plant or vegetation is a problem is, is the type of vegetation you're dealing with. And uh, because alligator weed and water primrose, for example, these are marginal plants that form uh, mats, they're stemmy, but they form floating mats on the surface. They don't tend to grow out of, you know, much deeper than three or four or five feet of water. They're they're great cover for fish and they're fairly easy to pull lots of different kinds of baits through. Uh, You know, a lot of folks are familiar with these. Water primrose has a a bright yellow flower in the in the summertime. The uh, alligator weed has a bright white flower in the summertime. You know, we have lots of lakes that have uh, those plants, and they love it. So, uh, whereas uh, there are lots of other types of vegetation that are just uh, nasty that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, uh, where it's it's all or nothing. Uh, you know, these things will creep out to six and eight and 10 and 12 feet of water growing up off the bottom. And, and, and they're, and they're just, you just can't have a little bit of it. Well, and you, um, you just, so let into my, also. yeah. And you let into my next question. Cause that's one of the things I was going to ask is if you had to pick what kind of weed that maybe was a, that you wanted in there, how do you do that? I mean, is that something that you, you, you bring to the lake and, and, and plant, to get the certain types that you might want in there and then keep the other out? Yeah, we, we, you, don't, you don't often get to choose. That is, that can be an effective approach. We've done that, actually seeded uh, areas and lakes with 
with desirable vegetation like primrose or or even water willow or um, water willows, the plant that's so prevalent out on Logan Martin and on uh, Lay Lake, you know, mm-hmm. that grows rooted in the bottom and comes straight up out of the water. And but but you can't, but you can sure you can you can seed it. Sometimes it's not as effective as others, but a lot of times you don't get to choose. You know, these plants come from here, there, and wherever. You know, they get transported in on 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 birds right. and ducks and 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 you know they're they're uh, some of these lakes have been around forever and ever and maybe an old lake that was expanded and the 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 old lake had some some nuisance vegetation just a little bit of it around the edges and when you expand that thing you know it blows up so you know it's just a matter really of keeping an eye on it kind of knowing what you're dealing with uh there are certain types of plants there's a a family of, of uh, vegetation, aquatic vegetation, generic name is pondweed. Okay, Potamogeton is the genus, and pondweed is one of those where you see it and you say, this is a problem. It's never good. Okay, having some of it is not okay. We need to get rid of it, you know, because uh, in three months, we're not going to have a little bit of it. Okay, so we need to be on top of it. We're either we're either combating it with grass carp and proper fertilization, or we, or and even and even in those cases, sometimes we say we also we need to add, do a chemical treatment on this stuff. Let's get rid of it. You know, duckweed, uh, another plant similar to duckweed, watermill, those are never good, <laughs> and they're and they're very difficult to control. Uh, they're they tend to be herbicide resistant. They're very challenging. And that that's never good. When we see those plants, we say this is something that needs to be dealt with. You know, we don't have time to mess around. Water hyacinth is a floating plant that's common out on on the Coosa River as well. Mm-hmm. A real pretty purple flower in the summertime. Beautiful plant. Uh, big big flotation, almost like buoys underneath it. It floats with weeds with uh, roots hanging down, and it'll move around. You know, it's, right. it's it just blows around and current moves it around and the wind blows around and so it's very difficult to control and keep it in one area and uh, again you know we see that and we say hey this is this is a problem or certainly has the potential to be a serious problem uh let's come up with a strategy to control it you know let's do a b and c this time of the year this time of the year this time of year and let's get that stuff is there a um, a certain size of lake that you look at and you go okay this thing's you know this is a two acre lake a three acre pond or whatever farm pond we need to keep we need to control a hundred percent of the weeds out of it because it'll just take over it so fast and then you got more like a 20 or 30 or 40 acre does the size of the lake have anything to do with it in your mind when you're managing a lake or is it more depth that you're concerned about over size of the lake yeah, that's a good question too. It, it it really comes down to to depth, water depth, the the kind of the depth profile of the the body water that you're dealing with. Now, larger lakes probably tend to be more diverse in terms of the the water the depth profile. Mm-hmm. So so in that sense, larger lakes probably are a little more conducive and and tolerant of vegetation. But it really doesn't have to. It has much less to do with the, the surface area that you're dealing with than it does the kind of the depth profile, the, the, the depth and the margins 
and then the upper end opposite the dam, you know, how, how much shallow water are we dealing with? And frequently those smaller bodies of water uh, have a larger percentage of shallow water. And so that's, you know, you tend to get into trouble probably a little quicker in those, in those smaller ponds. Right. Yeah. If I'm a guy, I've got a, you know, let's say three, five, maybe even 10 acre farm pond. I know that I don't want any grass in it. It's not too deep. It's going to be, I've had problems in the past. I've got you guys to come in and kill it all, but I like to manage my bass. I like to catch fish out of it, but I'm like, okay, all my grass is grown, gone now. I mean, what can I do as a pond owner to go, okay, well, I, 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 I considered that my structure. We all want to fish structure, right? And a lot of time these farm ponds mm-hmm. are just a bowl. I mean, they're just, there's, it's just the same depth. It's not a bunch of drops and points and it's not like fishing big water. It's all the same. And so I want to create some structure in there. And since I don't have grass now, what can I do? Or, or do you do anything to, I guess, you know, to, to create structure for people, you know, after the grass is gone? Yeah, no, that's another great, that's another great point. And now today in 2020, we've got all sorts of, of, of outstanding options in terms of artificial structure. In fact, uh, Texas Hunter, which is a Pradco company, has, is, is working uh, on and they're about to launch uh, several products that are that simulate even aquatic vegetation, you know, grass and, and, and weeds and, and bush, bushy type, you know, shrubby type stuff. Uh, there's another another company that we use some of their products that that have similar you know products and uh, there are products out there to simulate uh, floating vegetation, you know. Uh, giant lily pads and and uh you know where uh, the stuff is tethered to the bottom and floats at the surface and provides a great shaded area it's attractive to predators and prey alike and and can be fished in and around just like a you know uh, lily pads or a, or a, a floating uh, mat of vegetation so there there's lots of options out there in addition to kind of the stuff that we've used for years and years, which is just common sense stuff from cement blocks to woody vegetation, you know, Christmas trees and, and, and hardwood uh, limbs and brush. And so there, there's a lot, uh, there are a lot of options out there and you're exactly right. Fish will orient to structure and cover, particularly in the absence of, of, of anything else. Right. When everything, when it's, when it's all all the same, you know, drop something different. You know, you can drop a five-gallon bucket of concrete in one of these um, fishbowl ponds, uh, and and you're going to have thirty fish sitting. Around That's right, it sitting in, around in, it, right? In, in forty-eight hours, yeah, they they really do. Lots of different options out there, depending on depth and what your preference is. Um, you know, again, that's that's something we talk to our customers about frequently is making sure that we've got enough habitat and and quite honestly it's it's not so much about making the fish happy i mean hey i like to make fish happy but but it's really about 
make improving making the lake more angler angler friendly that's right, right. Uh, angler fish friendly. are so adaptive you know bass don't uh, they're they're adaptive they'll spawn anywhere they'll live anywhere they uh you know they have preferences but in the absence of of their preference they're going to go find the next best thing and they're they're, they're going to adapt to it but it sure as heck makes them easier to target more fun to fish for when you can kind of concentrate them and, and, and know where they're going to be. And, and so we use that, that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I never knew that that was, uh, you know, you know, I knew that you guys from a pond development, uh, standpoint, if you go in and, and you help somebody develop their pond and from scratch, then I know there's things that y'all do with contour with, uh, you know, to, to get, to make it, angler friendly uh but i didn't know that you guys did anything to the existing ponds uh with creating structure like that positive structure and, and structure that's not going to be harmful to your pond and, and your fishability over a long haul so that's really that's really cool that y'all that y'all do that you know we we've got one of our callers our crappie guys that call in and man he I think he said he had, I mean, he's got like 2000 waypoints on the lake that he fishes. It's crazy. Oh yeah. But yeah, he's like, oh, he's like, yeah. man, I simply, I take a five gallon bucket. I fill it with quick creek and I'll either take cane or crepe myrtles. When people start clipping these crepe myrtles, I'll go around mm-hmm. and gather them. And you know, these things may be five foot tall all the way to 10 feet tall. And he, when he goes to the lake, he just drops them and marks it, drops them and marks yep. them creates habitat yeah Um, it's remarkable what how little it takes uh in the absence of much cover to attract fish i mean you know you can like you said you had a couple of pieces of cane sticking up with hardly any branches on it but in the absence of of much else you know that that will attract fish as well as anything anything out there you know and uh and they'll find it and they'll find it rather quickly uh, and they'll, and they'll use it for sure. Yeah. That's good stuff. So the time of year mm-hmm. to be that you want to treat is you want to start thinking about this now, if I'm hearing you right, cause you want to be treating this thing. You want to be starting to treat your pond February 1st of March. You need to have some, if you've got a problem pond, you need to have some chemical in the water. Yeah. So in extreme cases where folks have ability to control the water level, we'll actually, this time of the year we'll have a plan if we're not already drawing down lakes uh we'll certainly have a plan to draw down a lake uh we can you know in some cases we can expose some of the the more susceptible uh areas for aquatic vegetation and if we can expose it to the air and uh sub-zero temperature you know get it to freeze the little bit of sub you know freezing temperatures that we have that can be an effective tool so you know that would kind of be that would be a starting point this time of the year. But beyond that, what I, what I would be thinking of in terms of weed control this time of year is let me make sure that my lake is limed properly so that come March, early March, late, late February, I can start fertilizing and I can be confident I'm going to get the maximum benefit out of my fertilization program. And my hope is that I'm going to stimulate enough planktonic algae growth that I'm going to compete block some of that sunlight from getting down to the bottom mm. when the when the length and intensity of the sunlight begins to increase 
in in March and April where I have a chance to to fight against that stuff and keep it from exploding on me. And then I, if I can get into April and May where the sunlight uh, intensity and 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 length of, and day length is even longer and the water temperatures are even higher uh, that I know I can stimulate enough planktonic algae growth to control that vegetation. If I get into March and April and I'm starting to see, see weeds topping out and the water's gin clear, uh, that's when you start thinking, hey, I've got a, I've got a problem on my hands. We're going to probably have to, to use some herbicide uh, as the water warms up as we get further into the growing season to kind of knock this stuff back. You just said something right there, and, and, and I promise you I'll quit asking you questions. But so a lot of these lakes that I fish that have a lot of vegetation in them are extremely clear or clearer than, they, than what I think they should be. Is, sure. is the clear water the reason the vegetation grew or is the presence of vegetation acting like a filter and clearing the water? Yeah, another great question. And, you know, kind of a chicken or the egg. Right. Uh, look, the answer is both. Okay. Uh, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's the real uh, catch-22. That's the, that's the real downside of vegetation. Generally, we have an opportunity uh, in the spring to get on top of the, the, the vegetation by manipulating the, the water visibility, the clarity. Okay, so we can win that battle early. Uh, if we don't win it early, if, we're, if we get into April and we either haven't fertilized or our fertilization program has not been effective and we're still super, super clear, at that point, you're, you're losing the battle. And once that vegetation gets topped out as it grows from the bottom once it gets up to the surface uh it's going to do two things two things happen one is it's very difficult even by controlling sunlight at that point even if you can decrease the visibility it's it's difficult to shade enough sunlight off of it at that point because it's all the way to the top right you almost have to put a put a shade cloth across it you know uh, but the other thing that happens is, is what you were just alluding to. At some point, that vegetation becomes so prevalent that it begins to leach all the nutrient out of the water that otherwise would go into plankton production, color up the water. It leaches all that phosphorus, all the nutrient, even fertilizer that we're putting in, and it takes it up and uses it for its own growth. So, again, that's when you've really kind of lost the fight. Right. That's when you say, I got to take some extreme reset. measures here. That's right. We got to go in there with, with a, with a, with a sledgehammer in the form of, of, of aquatic approved herbicide. And we got to go win, win a big battle right here. You know, we got to knock this stuff way back, kill it. Uh, and then two things happen. One, it creates an opportunity for us to start fertilizing again. And, and what do you think happens to all that plant matter, all That's that right. plant biomass when it dies? It decomposes. Decomposes. And when yep. it decomposes, it releases all that nutrient that it's got tied up, and that helps to stimulate planktonic algae growth, too. So a lot of times, we'll go in these super clear lakes in May or, or, or early June, and we got a terrible aquatic vegetation problem. We've stopped fertilizing because we're, we're fighting ourselves at this point. And we'll, we'll herbicide, 
and in a week or 10 days, the thing will be as green as pea soup because oh. all that vegetation dies, it decomposes, which is basically organic fertilizer, and boom, we stimulate a big plankton bloom without even putting any fertilizer in. And so, wow. you know, so it accomplishes two things at once. Heck yeah. Man, that's, 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 that's interesting stuff. And it's just, it's amazing what all goes into that um, and the ins and outs of it and how to stay on top of it. So glad we got folks like you that uh, can educate us and they can fix the problem when we have one. Yeah. Well, that's uh, definitely part of what we look at intently in springtime and, and, and really year round, but particularly in the, in the spring, uh, and, and, you know, when we do our electrofishing evaluations, we show up and check the ponds and check the water quality. You know, we're obviously, you know, very attentive to aquatic vegetation. Where is it? What kind is it? What's the potential for it to develop into a significant problem? You know, what can I do to control it before it gets to that point? All those things, you know, probably in some cases, you know, 10, 10, 10, 20% of our management report that we prepare is dedicated to talking about that kind of stuff. In some cases, it's not. We don't have a vegetation problem, but in cases where that stuff exists, it's important to know what you're dealing with, where is it, how much of it is there, what are our options to control it, and when do we need to do it. And all those things play a huge role in whether you're going to have a significant problem or whether you're going to have it's just going to be a blip on the radar. Well, what you just said right there wraps it up. I mean, that's, that's, that was good. That's good stuff. And, and at the end of the day, all vegetation is not bad. Uh, too much of too much is, and then there's situations just depending on your pond where you may just not need any, I mean, and you have to wipe it all out mm -hmm. because you can't just have a little bit of it. So knowing, knowing what you've got in a pond and that goes back to the, you know, having these guys do a pond management profile on your lake and your and your your farm pond is is to look at it and and kind of give you that diagnosis of you've got there's some things you can do uh to to get this where you want it to be and and still have a little vegetation or we're just gonna have to get rid of all of it because it's just the way your lake is and and, and we gotta we, we gotta start with some extreme measures so all that's good stuff norman we appreciate it man i always look forward to this segment because it's so educational and and um and i'm sure our listeners do too so greatly appreciate you buddy oh man thank you thank you thank you for having me as usual and i enjoy it too this is what we what we do every day all day and and uh, we love it so Appreciate you promoting what we do and, and letting us share some information with, uh, with your listeners. Absolutely, man. Well, you and your family have a great Merry Christmas and, and be safe. And we'll look forward to talking to you on another Management Minute next month. Okay. Sounds great, Brian. Same to you guys. All right, buddy. Take care. Bye. Bye. Man, always, always love to have Norman on here and, and just so much information and knowledge that this guy has and, 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 and a successful company around the state. Uh, they manage a lot of water for a lot of people. And there's a reason why, because they're really good at it. They're just, end of the day, they're really good at it. You want to grow big fish or just have a place that your kids can go out and catch uh, pan fish and have a good time. No matter what you're looking for in it, I, I promise you, Norman and these guys have dealt with it before. 
They've improved the conditions uh, before uh, of, of depending on what you're wanting to do. And uh, so, so give them a call, reach out to Norman Southeast Pond Management. And, you know, you can probably the best way to catch Norman is, you, you know, you can go to their web, website, but you can also call Norman at 205-288-1371. That's 205-288-1371. That'll take you straight to his cell phone. And uh, he might kill me for giving out his cell phone number, but I don't think he will. I think he wants his customers to be able to reach him. So we appreciated having Norman on here. And, uh, man, let's continue on. We got a little bit more time. Let's move on up to Smith Lake because I love to hear about catching giant striped bass, and nobody does it better than Michael Walker. Michael, what's going on, buddy? Not much. I hope you're having a good holiday. Man, I am. Thank you for that. I, I, it's, you know, this time of year is, it, I love this time of year. I love, love the holiday season. My wife does a lot of baking, so I, I usually gain some, 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 some weight around this time. But it can also be a stressful time, man, especially when you got as many kids as we do, trying to get all the, the presents and Santa Claus done and it's, <laughs> it can get a little overwhelming. So uh, man, we got, we got four kids and, uh, I'm doing two days at the gym to relieve some of that stress. <laughs> for you, man. I got a busy schedule. So. I hear you, man. I hear. Well, thank you for taking some time today to jump on with us. And, and, uh, we had Norman on with a great segment, uh, management minute with some farm management practice stuff, but we had a little bit of time, man. And I wanted to get you on here. And uh, I know that things have really fired up for you on Smith Lake here the last few weeks. And, uh, I wanted to catch up and hear, hear about it, man. Man, we've had a, we've had a good week as a whole. We've, uh, had two days where we kind of switched tactics and went just to catching fish uh on, on the days we're going you know real real cold in the morning we're having to wait for the afternoon to catch the bigger fish and uh on the morning trips we're having to just settle for catching fish uh with the different fronts we got rolling in like the front we'll have rolling in on christmas or kind of We'll, we'll kind of see some probably pulling big baits early and try to pull them later in the afternoon just due to the we're going to, I think, what, 21 in the morning on uh, Christmas morning or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, it's so supposed to be crazy cold. Different different pressure changes that kind of affect us here and there for now through January, but uh, mainly we're still just targeting big fish. We've had uh, a couple in the mid-30s in the last two days, so we've had good-sized fish, a lot of mid-20s, um, but just good fishing right now. Good deal. So when the, when this colder weather, I mean, when it's showing up, like, you know, the water temperature's down pretty good now. I know that the last time we, we talked, I mean, it was just, it was really on, it was continuing to get better. Is there a point in the winter, like with this cold, really cold front that we have, how does that, how does that affect the fish? Does it push them out deeper again? Uh, or does it mainly affect the fisherman more than the fish? No, no, no. Uh, definitely uh, is going to change things up. You know, on our lake right now, we're sitting around 53, 54. Um, and some areas, 52, their creeks are like 40s, low 40s, um, mid 40s, low 40s. So, 
you know, there's not a lot of bait in the creeks. There's, it, it'll change everything up basically. Well, the fish are going to end up eating small once that lake gets below 50 degrees. Uh, when the surface temperature is below 50 degrees, 99% of the fish are eating tiny. We'll, ha we'll really have to stop using big bait for a certain period. Uh, it'll happen year to year. It might not happen for three years, Alabama weather. You might have it two years in a row, but typically we balance right around that 50 mark. We don't dip below much at much, uh, too much, but uh, last year weren't close the year before, but three years ago it was at 47. So, like, our fish ate tiny bait uh, all winter long. So, we kind of were waiting for February to come, where on a warm uh, winter you're not going to have to worry about that because your water temp will stay really above 50 where you, they choose to eat a bigger meal. Right. So, Somebody coming out there and fishing with you right now, I mean, are you, um, what kind of, what size I mean, fish are we catching? Uh, just, I mean, if we're, if we're able to pull big bait on the day, we don't have some, we're not on post front, major pressure changes, you know, going from 45 one night to 19 the next morning and you're falling the next morning. Uh, we're pulling big bait right now. We're pulling pound to two pound bait and then we'll, like Which I still said, just blows my mind, by the way. I just, that's that just unbelievable. Right. No, but yeah, I mean, day after Christmas, when we're on the back side of that front, we'll be using smaller to average bait and just targeting fish probably in the range of 14 to 25. And we, we still have a chance of catching a big fish. We just won't be primarily fishing for big fish. Right. When you're primarily right now fishing for big fish, you've got a pound and a half, a two pound bait on there. You're fishing what, 50, 60 foot of water? I mean, this time of year you can. I mean, like, but it's, it's, it's particular feeding times for these bigger fish. And they're still feeding right now two times a day. So knowing where they're going to feed and when they're going to feed is the key to get the bigger fish. You know, they like flats this time of year until. It gets cold to feed on, but the flat doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, it, it, it could be a flat with an 80-foot water bite, or it could be a flat with 20-foot water bite. As long as there's still water that they can run to, and on Smith Lake, our flats are basically surrounded by 40 feet, 60 feet. You got real quick drops. You got deep water where they can just come off the deep water come up feed real quick and then be gone so like they don't have they're not going to stay they're not going to be on flats all day this time of year they're going to be feeding around flats but they're going to be off in a deeper hole spread out through the day and then migrate to those flats as uh, as their bite time comes and you, you may and have so just like, answered my question on that but you know when you said that they're basically feeding two times a day it, and so when they're not feeding, you're looking on your electronics, your fish finder, and you're seeing these fish in deeper water, spread out, not as gathered up maybe. <clears throat> and you can look at that and go, okay, well, they're not feeding right now. Can you still catch that? Do you still fish for that fish? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, like in the end, you know, early in the morning, we're pulling primarily all big baits. And, and then as the day goes and we see that kind of bite is drifted off, we're going to go target the fish that are off the drops. And 
I mean, we're going to use probably dial down on the bait a little. We'll probably use different tactics artificially if we can't get it. But yeah, I mean, we're going to go from targeting fish that are feeding to trying to get the reaction bite. That's right. And then when you see those fish leave those areas and get concentrated on a flat, then then you then you know okay it's yeah and see feed time and it's see here's you know here's the deal with striper fishing they might be coming to feed on a 10 foot flat that might be you know 50 feet by 100 feet so they it's not a big area but you're not going to mark a lot of them the big fish are kind of up there they're in they're out they're in they're out you really have to know where they are at know when they're coming and that's you know spending multiple days on the water you can kind of dial in hey you got 20 minutes before dark and then actually 15 into dark and you got a 35 minute window or other days you might have a 10 minute window on a certain area uh, where they just come hard Uh, but you kind of see those patterns being on the water every day so you know it's really important to be in this area in this (laughs) on this flat for the next couple of days and then that bite's going to kind of bait because you're going to you're going to wear down those fish and uh it's going to get short on you and you're going to have to kind of let up off those and go to another another place another day that's just so interesting it's so interesting hearing about these stripe fishing to me because i've never done it and uh it's just i don't think most people have not for the giant stripes and and it's a really cool fish and they get really big and you're fishing for them really deep. It's just so different than bass fishing. So I love hearing about the stripe fishing. And really, we're, you know, if there's one time of the year that you look forward to more than any other to go catch big fish, I mean, are we yeah. in that time right now? Or is that? I mean, we're, 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 yeah, we're in that time, but like the peak time for us is February and the first of March. I mean, I want to catch it before we really hit spring. Um, the big fish bite all the way till about early April. It seems like on a on your average year. Now, later in April, some of the biggest fish get caught, but we get very few fish because they're all close to post spawn. They're or spawning or they're you know, right before spawn, they don't eat good. Um, so I want to catch them when they're feeding up the hardest, uh, when they're really, really trying to put the weight on uh, for for the spawn run, right. for their fall spawn run. So February, even though it's kind of like weather we're going through right now, you're going to have some days that's miserably cold, and then we'll have a couple of days where you're like, man, spring's right around the corner, but that time the weather doesn't seem unless you just get some major front to affect them as much because they know it's time to feed their bodies are telling them to eat 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 so february and the first of march is for sure the best best opportunity to have home run just out of out of this world trips well that's when i'm that's when i'm going then i'm just gonna show up and (laughs) i'm gonna show up in your boat hey what's the what's the what's the biggest one you've ever caught or your clients um, it's 45 and a half on Smith Lake. That's a beast, man. That is a beast. But, but uh, yeah. we catch a lot of 40, 41s and 42s. The fish that are over 43 are a little bit more rare. That's unbelievable. Well, guys, if y'all are looking, if you got 
a, a dad, a son, an uncle, brother, husband, whatever, that loves to fish, this may not be something they've ever done before. If you're looking for that last minute, get a Christmas present for them, Michael. I'm sure you'd you'd give them a give them a good gift card to stick in a stick in a stocking or something, or they just write them a letter saying that saying that they've booked you a trip for the upcoming spring. That'd be a pretty cool present. I'd love to get something like that. Oh yeah, we have gift cards and everything available, and uh, if they're interested in giving us a call or checking out our website, the number is 205-503-2020. Our website's www.fishing247.service.com. Good stuff, man. Y'all reach out to uh, y'all reach out to Michael and 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 book a trip with him. It's it'll be uh, it'll be an experience for sure. Michael, thank you, man. You have a a wonderful Christmas and holidays and. We look forward to the new year and uh, to talking to you soon, brother. All right. Good to talk to you. All right, man. Take care. See you. All right. Another great show wrapping up right there. Love having Michael on here. He's, man, the guy catches some big stripes up there and you just some big baits, which always blows me away. And then, of course, having Norman on is, is always a pleasure as well. So that's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. So please subscribe, rate, and drop us a review wherever you listen to the podcast if you'd like us to email you the podcast we'll sure do it just text fishing to 646-495-9867 again just text the word fishing to 646-495-9867 and we will email you the show each and every week thanks a lot guys I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and look forward to talking to y'all soon. This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you're fortunate enough to own a lake or a pond, then I know you want to get the most out of it as possible. We all want to manage and grow big deer on our place, so why not grow the biggest, most healthy fish possible as well? Give Norman a call at Southeastern Pond Management at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com and these guys know how to grow big and brought to you by sun south from outdoor equipment parts services accessories sun south has you covered on the best for less visit sun south or sunsouth.com for quality john deere equipment sun south for those that do and brought to you by fish bites ready to go when you are regardless of when you're ready to go fishing this bait stays on the hook and the fish stay on the bait check them out fishbites.com and brought to you by Great Days Outdoors magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by You Do Outdoors. Check out You Do Outdoors on your app store, Google Play. It's a social media app for whatever you do outdoors. This episode was brought to you by Great Days Outdoors magazine. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today wherever fine magazines are sold or save a bundle online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. And brought to you by Brian Sand with National Land Realty. You already trust me with your fishing report, so trust me to help you find or sell that next piece of property as well. Just give me a call at 601-383-2344.